I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord, and all that we've done thus far, Lord, we thank you for the time of singing your praises unto you, Lord, and thank you for being here in our presence. We thank you for that special music that we just heard, Lord, reminding us of how worthy you are of our adoration and our, our praise, Lord. We adore you. Uh, you're the one who have, who's, who saved us, Lord. We would be lost and eternally uh, condemned if it were not for your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, we praise you. Now, Lord, as we come to a time of opening up your word, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And, Lord, we just pray that you would write, write its eternal truth on our hearts today, Lord. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts willing to obey your word. Lord, we want to conform to your image and likeness. So, Lord, teach us how to do that today. And these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab a pew Bible there, and it's page 154 in the pew Bible, page 154 in the pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then uh, let us, uh, we invite you to take that pew Bible with you, and certainly we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so you take that and use that, and it would surely benefit your life. You know, when we think about purity today, people don't talk about purity People don't talk about purity. There's a little talk about holiness, even in the church, if we're quite honest. Even in, in the church at large, there's, there's very little talk oftentimes about purity and holiness. But we see in Scripture over and over and over again that God calls His people to holiness. You be holy as the Lord our God is holy. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Christ appears, he shall, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. God's objective for us, his goal for us as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ is to make us holy. That's why he sent Jesus into the world. Jesus came to justify us, to declare us holy and righteous in the sight of God. He sent His Holy Spirit down to indwell us, to transform us and make us into the image of Christ, to make us holy as He is holy. And one day He will perfect that. He will make us perfectly holy because we will see Jesus as He is and we will become perfectly like Jesus. We will become perfect 
and holiness. So this is God's goal for us. Therefore, it should be our goal. As followers of Jesus Christ, our goal should always be to be holy as the Lord our God is holy, to seek purity, to work to maintain that personal purity. And we've been talking about that as we've been looking in the last few weeks in Deuteronomy. This little section here in Deuteronomy focuses on being holy as the Lord our God is holy. And it's a call to God's people to be holy. He calls us to this kind of holiness, this purity. And so in the past few weeks, we've learned how to protect our household's purity. Parents, it's your task to maintain the purity of your own household and to guard your children's purity as best that you can. And we've also learned last week how to protect our personal purity and our own personal walk, how to protect our own personal purity. And today we shift to God's assembly, to God's assembly that is, for our context in the New Testament, that is the church. The assembly of Christ, the church. And God calls His church to be holy. Therefore, today, we need to learn to protect the purity of the church. Protect the purity of the church. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And so today, I want to share with you just two essential principles for protecting the purity of the church. Two essential uh, principles to protect the purity of the church. And we're going to kind of work through our text today because it is a little bit longer text, so we're going to work through it as we go. So in our text, the first principle, the first essential principle for protecting the church's purity is this. Guard against impure influences from outside the church. Guard against impure influences from outside the church. Guard from those impure influences that want to come in from the world and influence the church. We see this in the first eight verses of our text this morning. Look there with me. Notice what it says there. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off, that is a eunuch, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of these descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days forever. You shall not abhor, abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. Notice here, the focus is on entering in the assembly of, 
of the Lord. That is that assembly that would gather together to worship the Lord there at the, the tabernacle at this point in their history and then later on the, the temple. So those, these, it shows us here three groups of people who are excluded from the assembly. Three groups of people who are excluded from the assembly. These three exclusions represent impure influences. They represent impure influences outside the community, outside the assembly of the Lord. First, there is the eunuch. The eunuch. Now, what's wrong with the eunuch? Well, the eunuch was blemished. He was blemished. It doesn't tell us how he became a eunuch, but this was a, a person who was blemished. They had a, stot, a blot, they had a stain on them, and they were not to enter into the assembly of the Lord. You think about that. They had to sacrifice the lamb. They always, there was always that sacrifice that come into play in, during the temple worship, and they were not allowed to sacrifice a, a lamb or a, a calf with a blemish. That was not allowed. The blemished were not acceptable unto the Lord. And so the eunuch here represents those who have a spot, those who have a, a, a blemish, and the, those who are unredeemed, if you will. It, it represents the unredeemed before the Lord. And they are not to come into the assembly of the Lord. Now think about that. We ourselves, in our natural condition, we come with spot and blemish. We are unworthy to enter into the presence of the Lord because of our sin. But by God's grace, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He washes away every spot and every blemish. He redeems us in Christ Jesus. And because of His redemptive grace, we are able then to come into His presence. But the unredeemed, the spotted, the blemished are not to come into the presence of the Lord. So the eunuch, the blemished, is excluded from the congregation. The ones born of a forbidden union. What is that all about, a forbidden union? Well, if you look through Scripture, uh, there's, there's a few different forbidden unions, but one of the major forbidden unions is union with a foreigner. Union with a foreigner. This was a union in which the, the foreigner was not allowed to come into the assembly of the Lord. Now when you go back through the Old Testament, we see people of different ethnic groups uh, in the Old Testament are classified in two different categories. And we've talked about this before. First, those who are not ethnic Jews uh, who are there in the land dwelling, there are those who are called sojourners. Sojourners, if you remember, sojourners were those who were journeying along with the Israelites. And so these were ones who, were, who had accepted Yahwehism, right? They became Jews religiously, if you will. Uh, they accepted the Jewish religion and they had, uh, accepted the Jewish practices and, and they came to worship Yahweh. And God says you are to, to treat them as your own kinsmen, right? You're to take care of them and love the sojourner. So there's the sojourner, but then there's the foreigner. 
the foreigner. The foreigner are characterized by as those who, who haven't received the Lord. Those who don't seek Yahweh and worship Yahweh, they still cling to all of their pagan practices. And God forbids marriage to foreigners. He forbids marriage to the, the pagans. And so this focus on those of the unforbidden union is that those, those unions that are, are unified with paganism, with the, the religions of the world, the ways of the world, the unforbid or the forbidden union, those are excluded. And then he goes to the Ammonites and the Moabites. The Ammonites and the Moabites, these are, are two groups in particular that God focuses in on. These are the enemies of the Lord. They are enemies of the Lord. And our text even goes on to explain why they're enemies of the Lord. Because when God's people came out of Israel, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they did not receive God's people. They did not bring bread to them. They did not provide water for them. Instead, they attacked them. And one of the major ways that they attacked them was they hired Obalam. You remember Obalam? Balaam had the talking donkey, right? And, and Balaam was a prophet, and he came to curse Israel. But when he opened up his mouth to curse Israel, God sent out a blessing instead. But the Ammonites and the Moabites, they hired Balaam to curse God's people. And when, when Balaam's curse didn't work, then, oh, Balaam, he, he devised another plan for the Ammonites and the Moabites. And he said, what, here's what you do. You, you send women into the camp to draw the people into paganism. Draw the people of Israel into paganism, and then God will curse them for their paganism. Right? These are enemies of the Lord. They are out to destroy God's people, and they are excluded from the assembly. They are not to come into the assembly and influence the assembly and draw the sem assembly away from the Lord. And when you go through the, the history of Israel, what happens time and time again, Israel allows these outside influences to come in and to influence them and draw them away from the Lord. We see that not far after, uh, well, this week I've been reading in Samuel, 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, you remember the people of Israel there, Samuel was a, a prophet unto the Lord, but he was also a judge for the Lord in Israel. And as Samuel was growing old, as he was getting on up there in age, uh, the people of Israel came to him and said, Samuel, you're, you're getting old. You're getting a little bit uh, out of step, right? You, you, your time is drawing near. And uh, your sons, man, they're just not like you are. They're, they're not as righteous as you are. So Samuel, here's what we want you to do. We want you to assign for us a king... What? Like the rest of the nations. Do you catch that? We want you to assign for us a king. We want you to appoint for us a king like all the nations around us. You see, they're allowing the outside world to influence them. They're not obedient to God. They're allowing the outside. They're, they're looking to the outside, and they say, we want the, what the world's got. Give us a king. And Samuel prays to the Lord, and the Lord says, All right, Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. 
And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them a king after their own heart. And he gives them Samuel for a king. And I love this. First Samuel describes Samuel as, I mean, excuse me, Saul as a king. Saul, I said Samuel, but Saul. It was Saul. But Samuel talks about Saul and, and describes Saul as a king. And, and he is a worldly kind of guy. I mean, this is the guy the world looks for. He was good looking. He was tall, which indicated he had power. And he came from a wealthy family. He had wealth. He had looks. He had power. Everything that the world says makes a good leader. And God says, that's the leader I'm going to give you. And just this morning I was reading, and you see where Saul, not long after he gets in his place as king, he leads Israel astray. They're out there ready to go into battle. They're waiting on Samuel to come and make the sacrifice and, and give glory unto the Lord before they go out into the battle. And the people, and Samuel, he, he's kind of taking his time. He hadn't got there. He got caught up, whatever. Something's gotten in the way, and he didn't get there in the time he said he was going to get there. And the people are kind of murmuring around and saying, oh, but we got to get this thing going. we got to get this thing going. And so what does Saul do? He goes in and he makes the sacrifice himself because he listened to the people. He listened to the world rather than God. And he led the people astray. And throughout his life, he over and over and over again, he looks to the people, he looks to the world. He allows outside influence to, to help guide the people of Israel away from the Lord. And of course, we know God eventually was gracious and gave them a king after his own heart. Humble, meek, and mild King David. Who cared less about what the world said and looked to God. Yes, he had his problems. He had his oopsies, his mistakes. He had his sins for sure. But he was a man who looked to the Lord, not to the world for guidance. We've got to be careful, church. We've got to be careful not to let the outside world influence how we operate how we do things we must exclude impure influences from outside god's assembly the church as a church we are called to be different right we're called to, to stand out we're called to be, be be light and salt in the world we're, we're not to blend in we are supposed to stand out from the rest but you know what? Being different is not at all easy for us. It doesn't come naturally. Well, I can remember in high school. I don't know why this stuck out this week, but I can remember in high school coming up, uh, the, the trend back then was acid wash blue jean jackets. And I just thought I had to have me an acid washed blue jean jacket. So mama took me to the store and we went to Mark Martin's department store there in Warren, and, and we went in, and there it was, this fancy-dancy, stone-washed jean jacket, and I just had to have it. Now, there were regular jean jackets over there, and they were about, you know, 20 bucks or so. I mean, they, they were kind of cheaper, uh, but that wasn't the style. I, no, Mama, I don't want that jacket. It's got to be the acid-washed jacket, because that's what 
everybody else has. That acid wash jacket, I think it was, for some reason this sticks in my mind, I think it was like 60 bucks. And uh, we, we didn't come, we were from humble means, right? My, my mama didn't have that. But, but she went the extra mile and she gave it to her baby. I, I'm, I was her baby, that's right. But she went and bought it. She sacrificed to give me that acid washed jean jacket so I could blend in and be like everyone else. And that's the way it is for all of us. No one, none of us wants to stand out. I mean, the way we dress, we dress the way we dress because the people in our community dress like us. They dress like this, right? We, we want to blend in. We want to be like our friends, our peer groups. We, we want to blend in. We don't like to be different, but the church is called to be different. In the, the past several years, there's been a, a call for the church to be culturally relevant to be culturally relevant. That is to appeal to the culture. Now certainly, don't get me wrong, certainly the church must be contextually real. I like that term better. We have to be contextually real. That is to say, uh, worship as, as we worship here in Bastrop, Louisiana, as we go out and do ministry here in Bastrop, Louisiana, it's going to look a whole lot different than what Jesus did in first century Jer Jerusalem, right? It's going to be different. We, we speak a different language, for one. We dress different. Our culture dresses different. And, and, and so we got to be real. Oh, we're going to do things different here in Bastrop, Louisiana, than our brother Christy does over in Romania. We're going to do things different here in Bastrop, Louisiana than even our, our missionaries up there in, in Boston do because there's a different context, right? We've we got to be uh, contextually real, but let me, hear me now, hear me. The problem is so many people, so many churches trying to be contextually relevant, they have allowed the culture to dictate doctrine and they've traded the cross for things like the rainbow flag. You see, we can't be con uh, con culturally relevant. We can't blend in with the culture. We've got to be real. We've we got to minister to our community, our context. Yes, indeed. Amen. Right? If we look the same way that as the church did in the 50s, we're not doing it right. Right? Because we need to change with our culture and we need to minister to the culture that we are in. We need to be contextually real. But if we allow the culture to dictate what we do, how we do then we've gotten off base. We've gotten off base. We've gotten way off base. We cannot allow external influences to determine how we work and worship unto the Lord. We must guard. We must guard our Purity. We must guard against impure influences from outside the church and hold fast to God's Word. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and right 
and perfect. We've got to cling to God's word. We've got to be a people of the book. Never, ever, ever allowing the outside culture to determine how we worship and serve the Lord, how we think, what we do. All of that comes from God. We've got to be different. We've got to stand out. We can't be like everyone else. We are God's people. We must be like Christ. Now, here's the question. Is there hope for the eunuch, the pagan, and the enemies of God? Is there hope for the eunuch, the pagan, and the enemies of God? Is there hope for those outside the community? Absolutely, positively, yes, there is. In Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 8, it addresses this very thing. Listen to what Isaiah says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself with the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, an eternal name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who, who join themselves with the Lord, with Yahweh, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servant, Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Yes, there's hope for the eunuch. There's hope for the foreigner. There's hope for the enemies of God if they turn to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're a foreigner to the Lord. You've been living your life according to the ways of the world and not been seeking the ways of the Lord. God has provided the way. And you can have an everlasting name if you turn to Jesus Christ and trust in Him. There's always hope. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. In order to protect the church's purity, we must guard against impure influences from outside the church. Second, we must maintain, in order to protect the church's purity, we must maintain a high standard of purity within the church. 
We must also maintain a high standard of purity within the church. Notice what the rest of the the little text there says, picking up in verse 9. Here we're talking about the camp of the Lord, the, the camp that's going out to battle, but this is the camp of the Lord. When you are encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. Did you get that? When you are encamped, when you, the people of the Lord, are encamped, when you come together, then you, are, you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. Be ye holy as the Lord your God is holy. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then you sh- he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water, and as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it, and you shall have a, a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Because, now notice this, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give you, uh, give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything, anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Now, we're talking about a whole lot of hygienic issues here, but the, the, main principle here it not does not have to do with hygiene right the main principle it is not about hygiene it's not about keeping good hygiene i mean those those things are great and wonderful and if you're out there in the wilderness and you're camping these are, are good uh, rules to go by but that's not the focus that the lord really wants to bring out here it's not the main thing is not about the the hygiene it's not about those issues the main thing is that they are to maintain a standard of of holiness and purity in the camp when you are encamped against your enemies then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing every evil thing that's more than that's more than all of these other things that are discussed in the text these are just hypothetical situations that are to bring out a spiritual truth you're to guard yourself from every evil thing you're to be holy as the lord your god as holy and he gives the reason why in that last verse because the lord your god walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy. Church, we're called to be holy. We're called to maintain a high standard of holiness even within the church. And not just when we gather together on Sunday, not just when we gather together on Wednesday night, Outside the walls of this church, we are to maintain a standard of holiness, a standard of purity. Each and every one of us, we're to pursue holiness. As the Lord our God is holy. As He works in us to will and to work for His good pleasure, we're to work out our own salvation. As He's working in us, we're to work right along with Him to pursue holiness in our own lives. 
We've got to maintain a high standard of, of purity in our own individual lives. Did you know, did you know that your purity or the lack thereof affects the life and the ministry of this church? If you're a member of this body of believers and, and you have an, an impurity in your life, if there's unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life, then it is affecting the life and the ministry of this body of believers. It's not just your sin, right? It's not just affecting you. It's not just affecting your family. It affects the whole body. Now, we're in Deuteronomy. The next book of the Bible is Joshua. At this point, already, Israel has had some wonderful, wonderful victories, right? They've, they've beat the Moabites and the Ammonites, and, and, and now they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into the Promised Land. And when Joshua takes the people of Israel into the Promised Land, you know this, the first city they come to is Jericho and God gives them a word here's what you're going to do you're going to march around the city for six days you're going to make one lap around the city once one lap every day for six days and then on the seventh day here's what you're going to do Joshua you're going to go around the city seven times and on the last time when you make that last loop around the city you're going to shout unto the Lord and that's what they did and when the people of Israel shouted unto the Lord, the walls of Jericho fell down. And the people of Israel rushed into Jericho. They annihilated the city. And God told them, now when you go into the city, don't look at, the, don't, don't look at all the stuff. Don't look at all of that. that. That's not for you. You devote everything to destruction. Right? Everything goes to destruction. Don't take any gold. Don't take any clothing. None of it. It's all devoted to destruction. And so they went in. They captured Jericho. They destroyed Jericho. They, they brought it down, all of that stuff. Then they go to the next city, the city of Ai. Now, Ai was a small city. It was just a little city. And so uh, Joshua's advisors, he said, they said, hey, pfft. Just send a few thousand people to Ai, such a small city. They'll take it no problem whatsoever. And so the Joshua, that's what Joshua does. He sends the people to Ai, the small 3,000 people, uh, soldiers to Ai, and they go to Ai, and Ai whoops them. They whoop them. Thirty-some-odd men, Israelites, die in the battle. The rest run and Joshua falls on his face before the Lord. Oh, woe is me, Lord. Woe is me. Why did you bring us here to die? And the Lord says, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. The reason you lost the battle is there's sin in the camp. And so Joshua begins to investigate. And he finds there, oh, Achan. Wait a minute. Was it Aiken? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, it's Aiken. I don't know why. They found Joshua finds Aiken. 
and come to find out, awaken, when he got into Jericho, he saw some silver, he saw some gold, he saw some fancy clothing, and his heart coveted, and he took it and he hid those things in his tent. Hidden sin. Who's going to notice? Nobody's going to know. It's hidden. It's stored away. Nobody can see it. It's all good. But Achan's sin caused Israel to lose the victory. And only when Achan's sin was taken care of did Israel begin to win the victory over Ai. Dear church member, dear friend, your sin affects the life and the ministry of this church. We need to keep a high standard of purity unto the Lord. Maybe today you need to inspect your own heart. Maybe today you have a sin that needs to be confessed. At the very least, confess it unto the Lord. Give it to the Lord. He will give you power and strength to overcome it. Confess it to the Lord. Give it to Him. He died for it. Give it to Him and He'll wash it away. In order to protect the church's purity, we must maintain a high standard of purity. That means we must hold one another accountable. We must hold one another accountable, allowing one another to speak uh, into our lives, allowing our brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into our lives and addressing sin when it comes along. Hey, man, what you did there, that, that's not pleasing unto the Lord. And not getting mad about it, but receive that. Think about it. And if there's sin in your life, change that sin, change that activity, change that habit. Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We need to hold one another accountable. And we need to be faithful to confront and confess our own sins. Now, we all sin, we all stumble, we all have those things that we, we mess up on daily, but the, the thing is, don't give in to those things, right? It, it's when we, we allow those sins to become a habit. And instead of confronting that sin, we, we live in that sin, and, and we just don't think much about it. You see, that's an unconfessed, unrepentant sin. That's the kind of sin that does damage to you, and it does damage to the church. We need to be honest about our own sin. We need to confront our own sin and confess our own sin unto the Lord and look to Him to help us to overcome sin. Protect the purity of the church from external and internal impurities. Today, maybe you do have a sin to confess. Here in just a minute, Garrison comes up and we go in a time of invitation. Maybe you have a sin to confess. I want to invite you to come to the altar and confess it unto the Lord. Give it to the Lord. He will certainly give you the strength to overcome it if you'll just trust in Him. 
Maybe it's not a sin. Maybe there's just a temptation you're struggling with. A temptation in your life that just keeps hounding on you and, and pressuring you. Maybe that's what you need to give to the Lord today. And come, give it to the Lord. Maybe there's a, a burden of some other kind that you need to lay before the Lord. Come and lay that before the Lord. Or maybe today, maybe, just maybe, you need to surrender your life to Christ. You're living in sin because you don't know the power of Christ in your own life. You never surrendered your life to Him. Then I would ask you today to come. Look to Jesus. He died for your sins. He lives to give you power to overcome your sin. If you only turn your eyes upon Him. Heavenly Father, oh, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, You do call us to be holy as You are holy. Oh Lord, as a church, You have assembled us together to live for Your glory and to help one another. Lord, we're not here to, to hound one another. We're not here to put one another down. We're here to lift each other up. We're here to lift one another up to help one another as we strive to be holy as You are holy. Oh, Lord, give us that spirit. Give us that spirit. Lord, if there's anybody today struggling with sin, oh, convict their hearts. Lord, let them give that sin to You so that You can give them strength to overcome it. And Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Christ, Lord, turn their eyes to see Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.